unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel, and a continuation from last week. I am excited to figure out how we follow up last week's episode, so I'm going to just shut my mouth and hand it over to you, David. And, wait, wait, um, wait, guys, guys, I'm confused. How did you both end up wearing the same clothes as you had last week? I, this, I don't this get This is it. my I, uniform. Oh, it's your uniform. I, this my is podcast weird. uniform. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holy crap. You You're don't have strange. to wear one because you don't work here, but... Uh, I don't work here, no. We do. <laughs> I can see now why you don't like having a job and have to wear a uniform. I love not having a job. Not having a job is my number one goal in life, and it has been a wonderful thing. I, I haven't had a real job since... I was temping when I was 25 years old and I got fired from every job I ever had and I stumbled into copywriting and I couldn't be happier about it. So listeners that are just joining us are like, who's this guy who doesn't have a job and why does he hate uniforms? He's legendary copywriter and info products publisher, Chris Sadat. Had it. And that's how they say it in Boston, right? And they say had it, had it, had it. Yeah. And as a freelancer, he was so good that one of his clients referred to him as money fingers. And Chris and I happened to be working together at the time. I told him he should take that word and run with it, which he has. He has a business called Miss Money Fingers Inc. I think he's known among a few people as Mr. Money Fingers. As a marketer of his own products, Chris went way outside the niche and managed to get himself on a national TV show with Rachel Ray. This was for his product, Text the Romance Back. And though he really is legendary today, he was just once an under-the-radar copywriter, and that was a long time ago. And I bring that up only to point out that he's worked to where he is. Today's show is called My Life in Copywriting. Not my life, but my life is in Chris's life. And he's agreed to take us on a VIP tour of how he got to where he is. But before we start the tour, here's something you may be interested in. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers and highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So Chris, welcome back. Love, love your new shirt. And, oh, thank you. Yeah. And I, let's just start right at the beginning. What was your first big win as a copywriter? Uh, when I went to um, Big Seminar 5 years and years ago, I had joined Harlan Kilstein's uh, copy mentoring program in Las Vegas. And he had told me, he's like, Chris, I want you to go to Big Seminar 5. I want you to get a bunch of business cards. I want you to put those business cards on every single seat at Big Seminar 5, et cetera. And so I did it. I was like, okay, well, I want to make this work. So I flew from Seattle to Atlanta in horrible pain because my back was all screwed up. And I went there and I was really nervous. And I met a bunch of people and I took all my cards and I put them out there. And then Armin Morin got on stage after that break and said, whoever did this, don't do that. But in a much nicer way, you know, please don't do that. But it got me yeah. my first couple of clients, actually. And I ended up uh, meeting a guy named Larry Benet who introduced me to a guy named Jeff Paul, who you may or may not know, but he was big in the infomercial space. I back remember in the day. him, yeah. 
Yeah. And Paul and Jeff uh, paid me my first 10 grand for a letter, which was amazing. I mean, it was a huge project. It was this huge like package that had a whole bunch of stuff to it. And I barely knew what I was doing, but I got $10,000 out of it. And Jeff Paul thought I was good at what I did, which considering I'd only been six months into the business was pretty cool at that point. But that was the, that was the first thing that got me going. Yeah. Okay, cool. And how did the letter do? You know, unfortunately, that particular letter never actually got used because Jeff and his partner, Jim, I forget Jim's last name, uh, ran into regulatory issues around franchising. So unfortunately, that letter mm. never got used, but they hired me for at least 10 more projects over the next couple of years. And did um, those make money? Oh, yeah. Everything else I did made my money for them because it actually worked. I mean, they wouldn't have kept hiring me otherwise, right? Oh, um, but yeah, did a lot of stuff in real estate investing. My favorite of those was the kill your alarm clock letter that I wrote which is all about like the idea of like, like I haven't set an alarm to get up in a decade unless I was going to the airport personally. Like, so um, I, I like that idea of moving away from um, uh, having to live that horrible life where you wake up every morning at 6 a.m. and drag yourself out to your car, et cetera, et cetera. I haven't lived that way in a long time. Really happy about it. Yes. We'll teach people to become machines, robots. Why not? Yeah. So I guess it was after, after Jeff Paul, you started writing for people like Joe mm -hmm. Barton and, and Jeff yep. Walker. Um, what did you do? And if you can go down the rabbit hole a little, if you're willing, what, what do you think you did in the copy or maybe even in interacting with your client or talking to their prospects or research or whatever it was, what did you do that got such big results? Cause I think people are always looking for those kind of clues. I think, I mean, for me, it was, I looked at, especially at that point in my life, I looked at copywriting as a knife fight, right? Like every single time I, I was, I had been really, I will never say poor because I always had a roof over my head and I know people that have actually been poor, but I never had any money when I was like in my twenties. And when I started to get into the copywriting world, that was the first time I really felt like I was good at something uh, for a variety of self-esteem issues. And because I was kind of very aggressively minded, I saw every project as like, Hey, we're going in there and we have to win. You have to do whatever it takes to win. And for me, that meant uh, learning how to um, be kind of hypey. You know, I, I had this real um, uh, prejudice against hype for the longest time. I could have been a freelance direct response copywriter three years earlier than I was, but my prejudices gotten gotten my way. Right? I remember getting a letter from the AWAAI and reading through it and being like, "This is such nobody buys shit from these things. This is the hypeiest crap in the world." And I spent three more years working as a corporate copywriter, doing like brochures for banks and shit like that. When I could have actually moved on to direct response copy if I just got out of my own way. Um, but I think a lot of it was just—I'm a pretty creative guy. I don't use the exact same ideas as everybody else. I'm, I'm able to get into the heads of prospects, I think better than most people. I'm a very emotionally uh, aware person, if not always the most empathetic person, but certainly emotionally aware. And I think I just poured all of that into my letters. Also, my background is not in marketing, even though I've had sales jobs when I was younger. My background's in dramatic writing and theater. So that's what I kind of did when I was younger. I was always in plays. I uh, went to school for television and film stuff. And I think taking that dramatic sensibility and putting it into my work worked really well. Also, I would take what was going, what had happened in my real life that had real powerful emotions around it, and I would build that into letters. So I wrote one letter, I, forget, I think it was the back pain letter that I did for Joe Barton. And that one was largely about when I got into a wreck with a semi truck that shattered my spine into a thousand pieces and twisted me into this thing where I, you know, used to see me, I'd limp everywhere. I was in horrible, horrible pain all the time. Another one, I wrote a letter about heart disease, and I took a version of the story of when my dad died. 
And I kind of infuse that into the copy as well. I tell people when they're writing um, copy for their own products in particular, and they say, what story should I tell in my copy? And I usually tell them, tell the story you're terrified to tell. Tell the story that you think people are going to make fun of you for, right? Like that's the story. You need. Talk, talk about that. Like, it, like, was that what you did with the, um, the semi-truck accident? Well, because I mean, the semi-truck accident thing, the thing that I said in that that made it powerful was that I didn't blame the semi. Right. Like we had an interesting story was I started off and I talked about when I was um, merging uh, onto the I-90, I-90 from Mercer Island after going to a meeting. I was actually wearing a suit at the time and I, mer I merged into a semi-truck. Right. And I got dragged about 100 <sighs> feet. I spun around the entire time. I hit a wall at about 45 miles an hour. I had my right knee locked at the time. So all of that couple of tons of force went into my low back and shattered it. And, and, you know, when I told people about that car wreck afterwards, they were all like, oh, my God, holy shit, how'd that happen? That fucking asshole. And I'm like, no, it was my fault. Right. And that's what makes that story kind of powerful, depending on where you want to go with it, is that idea of admitting, you know, uh, admitting when you fuck up, admitting that you're not perfect. Like those are the stories that kind of you need to put out there. And people oftentimes are like, oh, my God, I can't say that. I'm the only one like this. And I always say you're not in high school anymore. I promise you. Like when you get out of high school, all of a sudden vulnerability becomes strength as opposed to weakness. We're trained in high school that if you're ever vulnerable, you're going to get beat up, you're going to get made fun of, girls aren't going to want to fuck you, et cetera. Girls will want to fuck you if you're vulnerable, by the way. It's a whole thing. But when you get out of high school and all of a sudden, if you get up there and, and tell these stories, people see you as a very powerful character. I, I gave a speech at Copy Accelerator a few months ago, and I, I talked for over an hour about my entire life and that entire journey. If you want, I can actually share that video with you. It's an interesting speech. Um, but I, while I'm doing that, I talked about my bipolar stuff. I talked about my dad's death. I talked about all these kind of things very openly. And people, and I asked them at a certain point, I'm like, do any of you think less of me because I told you about these really challenging things in my life and the times that I was an asshole because I was an asshole for a really long time. And nobody said yes. They Instead, we see people that are willing to kind of own their shit in a more powerful place. So that's that's the short of it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I mean, that that's great. Um Nathan, I can't remember anyone else who's who shared quite this information in this way before. And um, it's yeah. actually not not unique in the world, but it's pretty rare in copywriters. I mean, I, I've heard this from a lot of successful people, but um, anyway, glad to hear it from you. So you, you, you did mention about your your illnesses, your convalescence. And normally I, I wouldn't bring this up, but since you already did, and, and if you're willing to talk about it a little more, I'd like you to talk about keeping your business alive when you're seriously sick with Lyme disease and I guess other problems. And I, I think this would be especially important today because there's so much concern about COVID and health in general, even as we speak. I learned how to delegate because I had to. Right. I think actually, if I hadn't gotten so sick, I would have I would have been that control freak. I would have been that person that was like overseeing everything and putting myself in people's way all the time. OK, let me let, let me push you on, on that point, because it's it's really good. And, and I've I'm actually looking at it myself with some inner work that I'm doing right now. Um, and it seems to me that as a writer, as a copywriter, absolute control or the illusion of it is very important. I mean, you're and and probably true also as a a TV writer, as a theatrical writer, as a screenwriter. You're creating a world onto itself. You need to have that control. 
but I love collaborating. I love collaborating, right? Like in my when, when I used to do theater stuff, nothing made me happier than writing a script, giving it to a director, having a 10-minute conversation, walking away and seeing what was gonna happen. You know, half the time it was amazing, half the time it would suck. And yeah, I got kind of angry when they screwed up my stuff. But the idea of like taking my work and finding somebody who's simpatico with it and then seeing what they do. Like for the new the new offer that we just are doing right now, this you can't hit yourself thin weight loss offer. You know, Dan Halleck, who's been mm-hmm. my designer, um, you know, he worked for me full time for a while and now he's freelance. He's done every letter I've done for 10 years and I just give him the script and I walk away and when it comes back, it's amazing. And I, I, I'm, it's not going to be better if I tell him to do it differently because you need to find people you can trust. But I do think the fact that I was very unwell mentally and physically in a variety of ways forced me to have to take a step back. I did not have the energy to be a control freak, so I delegated. I did get in trouble with that because the person that was running my business when I was the sickest, she unfortunately, because of my getting so sick, she got uh, um, promoted beyond her competence right? She got promoted to a point mm-hmm. that she really shouldn't have been. She got convinced that she was a bigger reason the business was successful than it actually was and ended up blowing up in my face. The guy who runs my business now, Mike, is amazing. It's a whole, a whole different thing. Um, but it made me take a step back and it made me realize I'm not a business guy, right? Like, like you know, all these business bros that are out there, that's great. I'm not really a hard-nosed business guy. I'm not that guy who's trying to like, you know, build a company to $100 million. Fundamentally, I'm a creative person and I'm a writer who just happened to be smart enough to be the person who owns the offer. Cause if you own, you know, I write a sales letter and it makes me millions of dollars like over time, as opposed to writing a sales letter and making five to 25 grand because I actually own the thing. That's the valuable part of it. But I'm also smart enough to know I am not a manager. My Calicacus who runs my business, who I could not do this without, he's amazing. Uh, is the one who manages everybody. I don't even talk to most of my employees. I only really talk to Mike and occasionally I'll talk to somebody else. If I have a question about something, but that's it. It sounds like either you've banged into a lot of walls and say, oh, there's a bruise, or you've thought this through, or maybe a combination of both to get to this point. I mean, I know what I'm not willing to do, right? This is the main thing. We talked last episode about um, me doing a copywriting project or something. I'm happy to do that. What I'm not happy to do is be on Facebook all the time talking about copywriting, right? I'm just not willing to do it. I, I don't want to do it. It doesn't sound fun to me. I like to live my life. I'm not going to run some group where I have to constantly be writing out content every day. In order to do it, there's a similar thing with my business. I, I knew full well there are things that I'm not willing to do, and I knew full well there are many, many things I'm just really bad at. Like I'm not able to, especially then, focus on details for any length of time. So I had to find people that I could trust to be able to do that. And you will get burned. Every entrepreneur I knows know has the story about losing money to an employee who fucked you over. And sometime I've lost a couple hundred grand that way. But it beats mm-hmm. me having to actually run the business and the business getting run into the ground. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said, I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. 
So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. Well, we, we've sort of covered the next question I want to ask you, but maybe I could ask it in terms of advice. If, if someone is at the point where um, you have talked about where maybe they're not facing the same kind of um, jeopardy and, and threat that you did with the disease and, um, you know, personal problems and mental sure. stuff, but maybe, maybe they're expanding to the point where they're going to have to go from being a copywriter, um, to having a business. What are some things to look out for? What are some changes that they might have to make that they don't even know are going to be an issue for them. Well, people won't people will not necessarily tell you when you're being stupid especially if you get successful um employees can often be kind of um unwilling to tell you bad news unless you are willing to be the person who says hey i want you to tell me the bad news as quickly as possible and you're not actually going to be punished for it um you can run into issues oh, one big thing is understanding that as entrepreneurs we're usually pretty add or bipolar sometimes even and we tend to bounce around and say things and uh, early on we'd be on meetings with my team and I would talk about something, just kind of brainstorming, and they'd think it was an order, right? They'd be like, oh, we have to go do this thing. And I'm like, I was just bullshitting, and I can't stop myself from bullshitting half the time. Um, so that, that was one of the big things. Understanding that the buck stops with you, you know, despite what our stupid fucktard of a president, if you like your president, fuck you too. Um, it refuses to take responsibility for anything. Like, that's not leadership, and that's not actually a way to do something. Um, you need to be willing to stand up and be like, hey, even though my employee fucked up, I'm the one who's responsible. We can talk, I'll talk to my employee about it later. We'll figure it out. But when it comes to, hey, a JV didn't get paid enough money or something happened, you have to be the one who steps up and takes it on the chin and is willing to do that. Your reputation in business, like a business like this is everything. Um, you know, back in the day, I used, to, I used to joke, there are plenty of people in our business, especially when I was much angrier and much less well, who would say, well, Chris is a fucking asshole. And that was true. Nobody would ever say that I fucked them over ever. Nobody would ever say mm -hmm. that I said I was going to mm -hmm. do something and never did it ever. Cause that, that's the most important thing. If you're somebody who doesn't pay your JVs or doesn't live by your word in our business, people will figure it out and they will stop working with you. I promise you. Yeah. I mean, I'm taking two words from that. Not fuck you, but taking responsibility. Yeah. 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 That, that, that's, that's really good. So I, I want to ask you sort of a two sides of the mirror question. Um, looking at the world as someone who has been a copywriter for hire, and as, as I understood, there there was a point uh, in your business, and maybe it's still true that you hired copywriters. Hmm. How did how did that work out? And you know, from the point of view of a business owner, what would you tell copywriters that most of them seem hmm. to be less than cognizant or even clueless about? Well, one thing I think in, in people that come to me in general, because I, I get a fair number of people writing me saying, hey, Chris, I admire your work. You must all this wonderful stuff. I want to I work with you. What can I do? Don't do that. You need to come to somebody and say, here's what I'm capable of doing that I can do for you. Don't, don't put it on me to figure out how you can help me. Or, or whatever. Um, the biggest mistake I made was buying my own press too much. You know, uh, especially six, seven years ago, I, I seemed like I was like a really big deal in the copywriting world for a while there. And people keep telling me that I'm like a genius copywriter and I was bipolar. So the narcissism was flowing like, you know, like a chocolate river in Willy Wonka. 
And so I could not <laughs> get out of my own way enough to understand that other people can do good work too, even though it's not the exact thing that I was doing. And also that like, I really felt like people were only promoting my stuff at all because I personally wrote the letter, which is a really tough stuff to get, tough place to get stuck. It's like being Tony Robbins and, you know, Tony Robbins is worth all the money in the world, but people only pay for Tony Robbins, right? Like you, you can't like have somebody else go up and he, that's not going to fill a 20,000 seat arena. Um, but I think the main thing for copywriters is you just need to be willing. I mean, what made me successful was I was willing to go out and say, hey, I'm Chris Haddad and I'm fucking great, right? Like I didn't necessarily believe it at the time. Actually, I hated my own guts, but you have to be willing to go out there. You have to be willing to brag about your successes to a certain degree. You need to be able to just show results. And I don't know, that, that's the long and the short of it, but just be, be willing to go there and be willing to listen and shut the fuck up and listen to somebody who has more experience and knows what they're doing. Okay. Really good advice. Probably a little tough for people who don't think the world should be that way, but, uh, well, hold on, David, like, like listen, I don't think the world should be that way either. Right. Like I uh -huh. don't like necessarily being somebody who has to go out. Like I, the thing that I find that I don't like doing that, that probably holds me back from doing copywriting products right now is I don't really like being the guy anymore going out and bragging about how great I am and how successful I've been. I uh -huh. find that kind of off-putting at this point. I, I find yeah. it kind of, it just isn't who I want to be, but yeah. in our business, that's part of the, that's part of the job. Like if you want to go out there as a free, if I was a freelance copywriter, I would be posting on Facebook about copy all the time. And I would be posting all of my testimonials and all of my successes because that's the gig. And if you can't do it, you need to get out and do something else. Okay. So, um, cold, hard, cold dose of reality, huh? Me? A hard, cold dose of reality? Dave? No, not no. you. Just everyone else that you're giving advice to. You, you oh, can... I know. I know. I know. But okay. like, I, you know me. I don't want to bullshit about it. Like I've never been. I hate. Also, I despise people in our business who constantly, who refuse to ever talk about their failures. Right. I've yeah. had a raft of, I've had a whole bunch of failures over the years. And I think it's important to actually talk about those things openly. But I'm think yes. I mean, no, no argument there. I, I'm thinking you're you're almost like a detective or a, a scientist on a research scientist on a quest in a sense in that yeah this stuff happens but you think okay so what was i doing i don't want to do what did i learn from that how can mm -hmm. i right i mean yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it seems like the you know the um advice that writers are given that so few take is you know Everything is material and, and you're taking it almost to a strategic level. Like everything that happened to you in your life is material. And so how can I, like your own life is a work of art. I, I think it's also like one thing I say, one of my hadadisms is uh, be grateful for your tragedies. Right? Mm -hmm. Be grateful for your tragedies. It's, you know, my dad died when I was 19. I had, a, you know, some abuse stuff happened when I was a kid. I had the Bible, blah, 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 blah. My life is not worse than anybody else's. We all suffer. But on the upside, you know, a good friend of mine just had her dad die and I got on the phone with her and I talked about it. And I, and, and she said, you know, Chris, it's so nice to talk to somebody who's not trying to make it better because I'm not trying to make it better. I'm just trying to be the person who's there. I know people that are in agonizing pain all the time and I'm able to empathize with that. Uh, okay. So how is this not empathy? Because earlier on, you said you're not the most empathetic person in the world. I don't get it. I can be very empathetic. I also, because of my uh, mental illness stuff. There have been times in the past I was completely incapable of empathy. My okay. wife and I were talking. My wife and I were talking about this last night because she remembers it quite well. Um, there was quite. There are times in the past when I, I remember being there, looking at people and being like, "Aren't I supposed to be really empathetic? And why am I only thinking about how this affects me?" And it was very, really, very confusing at the time. I think part of the reason that I was able to get good at the type of copy I do, part of it was, yeah, because when you're bipolar, your emotions are all over the place. But also because there were those times when I wasn't capable of really connecting with people. I had to 
kind of like a psychopath, figure out those emotions from the outside. And and so you got really good at him. Um, yeah. But I, I, I also think you've combined um, things from the craft. I mean, I've studied screenwriting and novelism and playwriting, not to the degree that you have and not to the mm-hmm. level of, and, and I, I see how you've applied a lot of the things I learned about. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty awesome. So um, it's all stories. Yeah. So what's your, what's your latest project? Um, it, it's um uh, don't hate yourself thin. I think it's you can't you can't hate yourself thin, and it's an offer I'm doing with uh, Scott Ruick, who you probably know. Oh yeah, um, I love Scott. Yeah, yeah, Scott's great. So he he and I partnered on it. My wife Angie is doing all the content for it. Uh, who you also know. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we're getting it ready. You know, obviously, with us with all things, this thing has taken forever to get off the ground, especially because we were just getting started on it when the world fell apart. So you know, there was those few weeks of depression when nobody could work and all this other kind of shit. Um, but we're getting ready to kind of roll it out now. I admit I'm nervous. You know, uh, I'm nervous every single time we put out a project. Still, I, I missed the chance to get the word in advice, but Angie's great, and I love her too. No, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I'm an amazing copywriter in her own right, and an amazing writer, and also the woman I love more than anything in the world. So that works out. That's um, a good combination. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm a fan of my wife. So, so is that not quite launched yet? Uh, not quite. We are. Uh, we got the VSL back a couple days ago. Um, I just looked at an email where it was the greatest thing. I looked at this email with like four or five people on it, and there's all these action items, and none of them have my name next to it. <laughs> well, I, because I'm I remember, doing it right. I, yeah. I hope this isn't breaking any confidences that I looked at the copy, and yeah. it was pretty stunning. Cool. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. I hope it works. You know, um, Here's a really funny thing. I'm sure you've had this happen too. The number of times people have showed you copy and asked you, is this going to work or is that other one going to work? And you're like, my, my answer always is like, I think this one, but I really don't know. I mean, I've been doing this a long time and I've learned plenty of times that the only thing that determines if it works or not is the data you get back from the market. Like you try your best and you see what happens. Nathan, got any questions or thoughts before we wrap it up? Chris, thank you. I, both of these episodes were phenomenal. And cool. I think that... Uh, Our listeners are going to get a lot out of them. And I appreciate you coming on. And David, thank you for lining this up. And until next time, if you want to catch more uh, or get more of your copywriting fix, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com and we'll catch you later. Catch you later. Good times. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.